Welcome to this week's episode of Time Added On. How are you, Tom? You all right? Yeah, I'm all good. All good. Another week, another defeat. Here we go again. I feel like it's just the same, same, uh, same every Round week at the moment. Yeah, same every week. I know. Well, we, we kicked off last week's pod saying we were desperate. We're desperate to talk about a win. And now we've got at least two weeks with the international break where we're not going to be playing, which could be seen as a good thing the way things are going at the minute. But yeah, we could have really done with... Um, well, we could have a win for many reasons, but definitely going international break uh, with two weeks off, it would have been nice. But yeah, another weekend, another defeat. Weather's miserable. Um, God, we've not kicked off the pod in a real happy, cheery way, have we? Um, but I think that's just the, the sums up the feeling at the minute, doesn't it, Tom, really, in terms of um, the way things are going for us. I mean, just, just three wins in the last 20 really does leave Sabri on the brink. And... Um, as you know, obviously, we record this on a Sunday night and um, I think we're surprised that, that Sabri's still hanging on. Uh, you get the sense that it's uh, it's just around the corner now, Tom. Yeah, I don't think it's far away at all. I think once you start getting those rumours um, of potential, the potential next person in, it's always hard really to um, to really to, to turn that around. Um and usually it means that they're sounding a few things out. So yeah, I don't think um, I don't think he's got a lot of time. I don't think he's got a lot of time added on. Um, but yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens. Obviously, um, I think there's probably um, a few things waiting to be announced just around the corner any minute now. So, so Bristol City yesterday, a Bristol City side that had obviously won their first three games of the season. So they were coming into it on on. Flying form, albeit um, the performance the week before against Sheffield Wednesday wasn't the best, but obviously three wins from three, full of confidence. Um, obviously, we were three defeats in a row, really just searching for something. Um, more of a settled week this week. Obviously, we, we've kind of touched on for the last few pods. It's hard to keep up with the amount of transfers that are coming in, but fairly settled week, no incomings. Um, bit of a novelty, Tom. Yeah, it's weird not talking about um that we've just signed another 20 people uh <laughs> it's really odd but it was quite quite nice to finally um start getting uh kind of uh well i mean obviously the window's closing soon anyway but it's quite nice to go into it knowing that that the squad that you've got really apart from potentially an extra few outgoings and maybe one more incoming before the deadline um is kind of that is what it is now um I mean, there isn't many more players that can sign that they've not already had before, to be fair. so well, I, I still think there's going to be a couple of surprises. Obviously, Cafu, we expect Cafu to probably sign tomorrow um, off the back of the silver deal. They definitely want a winger linked with Grisicki from West Brom. Christian Atsu today in the mirror. Um, we were linked with a move from him from Newcastle. Um, so there's definitely going to be a winger. I, I just... I just wouldn't be surprised if they pulled out at least one, if not two, other signings last minute. Obviously, international window closes tomorrow. The domestic window week on Thursday, I think it is. Um, so, still plenty of time for Forrest to, to wheel and deal. And obviously, I suppose it really depends on what happens in the next few days with the with the head, co- head coach role. But um Definitely room for them to wheel a deal. So never say never with Forrest. But yeah, it was a fr- it was a refreshing change to go into the weekend with no incomings, and you could kind of you know we didn't really put it out there because we've obviously got it hopelessly wrong over the last three weeks. But we didn't predict the team last week. But 
you kind of got the feel that you could pick at least, uh, you know, eight of the starting, eight or nine of the starting 11 yesterday. And and as it was, obviously, three changes. Um, Yanu, Maiten, Graben all starting. McKenna injured, which I think was a bit of a shock. Obviously, he was talking Friday about um, about being up the weekend and how much it was an important match. Um, so McKenna out, uh, Sambasau out, and obviously Taylor dropping to the bench. So, a much more settled side, if you like, with just three changes. Yeah, there wasn't. It wasn't a huge surprise to me. I suppose the only surprise for me was um, Tyler Blackett starting at centre back alongside Embissel. Um That was a surprise, and obviously we'll come on come on to um, individual performances and and the game in a bit more detail. But yeah, for me, the the, the team was kind of what I was expecting. Um, it was nice to see Might and start. Um, obviously, we've spoken about the need for a bit more, um, a bit more of an active, wide play from Forest than a wide player. Um, and I thought he offered he offered that a bit more on the wide, wide areas of the pitch. But yeah, I thought the team looked a, a lot more settled and kind of what I was expecting it expecting. Yeah, it looked like a it looked like a relatively strong side on paper. Um, you mentioned. Tyler Blackett, there. obviously we were very critical of his performance um, last week against Huddersfield. Obviously, starting at left-back that game, brought into the centre of defence uh, to partner Ember So, as he said. Um, I mean, it pretty much speaks volumes that he was moved in there instead of Figueredo being put back into the team. You know, we talk about the international window closing tomorrow. I would not be surprised to see... Figueredo exit alongside Ribeiro tomorrow. Um, I just feel like that was the final nail in his coffin, really. Um, because you would, you know, form us not being in the greatest of form at the end of last season. Obviously, had a rocky start to the season, um, certainly giving the penalty away um, on opening day. But you would feel that he would be, you know, certainly last season, he was one of your first choice centre halves. If he was sticking around, You'd have expected him to be pushing for his starting place back, or at least on the bench, um, but not made the squad again um, alongside Ribeiro and obviously Silva going yesterday as well. Yeah, I think that was a real eye-opener for me. And I must admit, when I skimmed down the team, I just presumed that... Um, I didn't really look at the back four, which is probably a bit of a mistake because it changes more times than, uh, than any of the, the pitch. But yeah, I just didn't even bother looking down. I just presumed McKenna was playing. It was only when one of the lads text on WhatsApp and said, oh, he's missing black, it's in. I was really surprised by it. I think he can think himself lucky, Tom, to be in that starting eleven yesterday, Tyler Blackett. Yeah, I think um, even though we didn't predict, predict the team um, for the game last week, I think the only thing I said was I 100% wouldn't start Tyler Blackett. And there he was, creeped in, didn't he? Creeped into it. But yeah, I mean, it was a surprise. Um, and I don't think he kind of, he did himself any any wonders um obviously like i've said before he's only just started his forest career um and obviously it's kind of a brand new defense but um he he did kind of get drawn in um drawn into into midfield a lot um and just out of position and he got caught out a lot and he just didn't look look confident um maybe he was slightly surprised he was even starting himself but i mean obviously the expectation probably was that we'd be playing scott mckenna um but obviously he's he's got a knock um, by the sounds of it. I know he's had some injury issues before, but um, it sounds like he's got a bit of a knock, hopefully not too serious because I thought he had a very impressive debut. Um, but yeah, Tyler Blackett, um, 
yeah, I'm not sure if Scott McKenna is back or, you know, I'd maybe even put Dawson ahead of him for the next game. Um, it was a real tough one for him. Yeah. And, you know, let's let's talk about the, the game itself. So we, again, one of the things that, that we've banged on about for the last few weeks, and actually a lot of people have, especially on social, is that Forest just don't come out of the, the, the traps quickly at all. Um and we really wanted them to go at teams and really, uh, you know, impose themselves on the match. Had a great chance early on and actually, you know, for the first few minutes started the game well and bar an absolute worldy save from Bentley, would have been 1-0 up with um, young Alex Mighton's header from um, Yanu's cross. That was a real, I mean, what a save that was. Yeah, oh, fantastic save. Absolutely fantastic. And I thought... Um... Yanu had a had a great game, um, it, but obviously that was a fantastic start running down the left. It was a brilliant cross, and it, it was a fantastic header by Mighton. I don't think he could have done much more, but I think Bentley just had. I mean, what a game he had! Um, oh, what a fantastic game! Superb. But, but you just feel like you know Forest needed to score first, and and that was an absolute. I mean, it was a great chance. From the from a forest point of view, everyone did their jobs right there in terms of it was like you say, it was a great cross, it was a great header, it was just an equally matched by an absolute superb save. But if that goes in, that's the dream start for Forest that they, they really needed yesterday. And unfortunately it didn't, obviously tipped onto the bar. And I mean, after that, for the next 20 minutes, it was an absolute car crash. Um you said you sensed, and and Radio Nottingham were talking about it on comments yesterday. You just sensed that as soon as Forest go behind, that is it. The confidence just ebbs away from them, and it was a real sucker punch. I mean, the first goal that 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 Bristol scored, it was poor defending, and they left uh, they left Vyman absolute acres of space to kind of finish and took that into the bottom corner. And it, I mean, the, the defense was static for that goal, and it was just it was inviting them on, um, and that was just really disappointing because I say for the first few minutes of the game they came out and they started really well, but to just shoot themselves in the foot and give another poor goal away, Tom, um, they'll just I mean they'll be reeling from that. Yeah, one hundred percent. And it was um, I felt like it was just a carbon copy of the Huddersfield Huddersfield goal. Um, this time came from the left rather than the right. Um, but a very similar goal. It came from the flank uh, because Ian has gone forward. Um, and in this case, um, the central midfield was nowhere to be seen. The centre-backs were too deep. Um, and, you know, Tommy Rowe had all the space in the world to finish what was probably, again, one of the easiest goals the opposition will score against Forest or just the oppositional score all season, but the goal coming against us, it just felt like they'd learnt nothing from last week. And it's a concern mm-hmm. because we said last week, oh, you know, defending Sabri's thing certainly didn't look like it. Certainly did not look like it for that goal. No, I mean, they were getting in them. I mean, throughout the, even, even, you know, throughout the first half, they were, they were getting in behind almost every time they attacked us. They were finding space. The fullbacks had pushed up. The centre-halves were out of place. Um, they were just all over the shop. I mean, Samba made had to make a, another point blank uh, save from a from a header from a free kick. But obviously, if that goes in, I mean, they were they were at sixes and sevens, and at, at, for that twenty minute spell, you really feared that that every time Bristol City went forward, they were definitely going to score. Our Achilles heel and our Achilles heel of not being able to defend crosses 
I mean, it was just, it was there in abundance for the second goal as well. And I mean, I'm going to put my house on that, that, that Chris Martin would have had a hand, uh, a hand in a, in a goal against us because it was, it was a little knockdown to, to Naki Wells again in, in space for the, for the second goal. It was just, a, just a completely undoing, you know, albeit it was Martin getting ahead of his, uh, of Cyrus Christie as opposed to the centre halves, but it was just far too easy. And, it looked like, I mean, it looked like, I mean, definitely was a case of, it looked like they'd never met. You know, they'd never played together. They looked like they'd never even done a training session together. And I think the interesting point we, we talked about there earlier on is that McKenna was obviously due to play and probably pulled out on Friday. So there's obviously a little bit of a, you know, he's, he's trained all week with a certain team and he's had a reshuffle on a Friday afternoon. But even still, and I know Yanni, actually, so Yanni is obviously making his debut as well. So, it doesn't help that, you know, two of the three changes, if you like, in personnel and positioning were in that back four. And, yeah, they just looked like they'd never met Tom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you could see that second goal coming from a mile off. Um, but we knew where Bristol City's strengths were. It was in midfield. They liked to lay as a flat five. Um, and then they have Naki Wells and Chris Martin feeding off of it. So Forrest had to be strong in midfield. Um, in this case... Um, you know, they weren't they weren't against Huddersfield and I didn't feel like they were particularly strong defence or or in that deep midfield area again this week. Um and that second goal, I mean you could see it coming from a mile off. I mean, again, so easy, so easy. Chris Martin uh is loving playing against Forest. I thought, you know, Sabra would have been very much aware, like we said, about when we played um Cardiff and you know, they were going up against Kiefer Moore. I was hoping that they might have learnt from those previous mistakes and, and also conceding in the final minute um, against Derby last season. But, um, you know, look, they didn't. They didn't. It was another easy goal. Um, they didn't seem to seem to counter what we knew Bristol City's threat was going to be. Um, and, yeah, it was easy. And when you, when you go 2-0 down and you have the lack of confidence that Forrest have at the moment, it was it was never going to, it just never felt like we were going to turn it around after that. No, and I think he said, he spoke volumes, that, you know, we were 2-0 down and, and on commentary, they were, they were saying that Sabri was going to make a change and bring Dawson on, but obviously he, he wasn't planning on the change, but he obviously instructed Dawson to go and stand on the edge of the 18-yard box and coach the back four from the sidelines. I mean, that's a concern that you've got your probably club captain doing that from the sidelines. He said at the start, Tom, I said after the Cardiff game that I felt like we were missing leadership in that back four. For the Huddersfield game, I'd have considered, you know, when times are when times are tough and you need some leadership and a voice on the pitch, I'd have considered bringing Dawson into the, to the team for Huddersfield. Obviously, within that week, we then signed McKenna. I think he was itching to give Ember so a game. So I can kind of understand why he didn't for Huddersfield. But for this game, with McKenna being out and the way that Blackett played the week before I think the game was crying out for an older head and for Dawson to be in there to obviously counter Bristol City's height and strength at the back and yeah to see him coaching from the sideline I think I think that just summed it up in terms of how shambolic that back four was as a unit within that first 20 to 25 minutes and it doesn't help I mean obviously I know we're talking about the defence but it's even harder when you can't see a goal a goal coming at the opposite side. I know obviously Forrest did in the end, and I'm sure we'll come on to it, did in the end score a goal. Um, obviously, going into this, though, it was zero goals in the first three games. 
Forest were really gunning for that championship record of being one of the first teams not to score uh, a goal within the first four games of a championship season. Look, I mean, we didn't get, we didn't even, we lost, but we didn't get the record either. So it kind of feels upsetting in both ways, really. But, um, but you know, it just coming into it, the previous games we didn't even look like trying to score either. Um, and I think I saw Alan Nixon on Twitter. Uh, this week saying exactly that pretty much and I couldn't agree more it's, it's like one of those portable camera, cameras you used to get back in the day where you used to have to scroll it up until you heard the click to take the photo and scoring a goal was the click and Forrest hadn't even started scrolling up until this game um, they'd not even picked up the camera so it was nice to see after going 2-0 down to start seeing Forrest going forward But and I'm sure we'll come on to it it felt, it felt for me like Bristol City, it was more just because of Bristol City sitting back rather than Forrest actually starting to show some quality, which we've spoken about before as well. Yeah, and it really, and I think the most disappointing thing about that first 20, 25 minutes was it, 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 it was that lack of leadership. And Sabri actually caught quite a lonely figure um, standing on the touchline on his own. And obviously, I know the, the, the BBC Radio Nottingham, uh, Colin Frey, Brian Laws obviously touched on it as well and said that you'd see the, the difference in the in the bench of Bristol City where the manager and his assistants and the coaches are talking constantly. The assistant manager for Bristol was up, down, whispering in Holden's ear, kind of giving him tips and, and hints. And obviously they were chatting about how to change the direction, which is obviously going really well for them. Not one person was by Sabri's side throughout the first half of that game. Um, and when things were going wrong, you kind of need all hands on, on, on deck. And it doesn't look like a particularly happy behind the scenes there. Where I say, you've, when you've got your club captain, centre half going down, barking orders. Um, and then you've got, I mean, how many coaches has, has Sabri got? And not one of them got up to help and, and obviously give a kind of word of advice or inspiration. Um that was kind of a really weird and worrying and telling thing for me. Um, as you say, Tom, we, we did we did get ourselves back into it. And obviously, we've waited a long time for a Forest goal this season. And what a goal it was as well. Obviously, Freeman cutting in um, after receiving the ball from a, from a clearance from a, from a poor free kick. Um, and, and we'll talk about the distribution from free kicks and corners. But picked it up, was kind of... I think Bristol City felt like they were shielding him away on his weaker foot, on his weaker right foot, and what a hit it was! Oh yeah, fantastic goal, fantastic goal. Um, just seeing him, you know, obviously, like you said, the free kick comes in, it comes back out. He just jogged over to the ball, picked it up, um, and just thought, sod it, you know, <laughs> we've not we've not scored a goal, a goal all season yet, um, and nothing else just going to so just have a have a go at it. It's probably the one. Why thing. not? One thing Bentley didn't save all day, um, but it was a cracking goal, lovely finish. And I actually think probably um, Freeman's best performance in a Forest shirt so far. Um, yeah, I mean, he's been a spark in the games we've played. I think we think we've come away from them all. I mean, we suggested against QPR, he's probably a bit, bit rusty, have not been played for a long time. But I mean, if Forest were going to do something to create something, it lo it's looked like in the four games it's going to come from Luke Freeman. I think he, he has been one of the, the plus points of this run so far. Yeah, 100%. I think he's uh, he showed glimpses of what he can do and it was good to see um, him getting the reward for 
for showing a bit of quality in this game as well. Um, obviously, he showed his frustration last week against Huddersfield that maybe things weren't quite going the way he would have wanted and, and to plan, and obviously coinciding with Forrest's form just being awful. Um, but, you know, he, he, he looked a bright spark for me, um, and I'm glad that he got on the score sheet and uh, made sure that Forrest didn't get that four-goal four goal record uh, without a goal. Um, so fair play to him another good performance by him yeah and you can see it really did lift lift the players I think you can see that instantly it was almost like there was a, a relief and a massive weight off the shoulders I mean and second half I mean it was chalk and cheese it was one way traffic um, and you just I mean I was actually quite as that second half grew I was actually quite confident that we were quite confident we were going to go and nick another goal and yeah, it just wasn't to be, but it was brilliant. I, I thought second half there was quite a few positives come out. Obviously, Graben messes up ahead there just before, just after um, half time, and then Bentley again. I mean, Cyrus Christie, to be fair, I mean, it was a great run from him, kind of picked up the ball a long way out. Maisie run again, hit it on his weaker left foot, and it was sailing towards the top corner. And I don't even know how he's got across and tipped that over, but. What a goal that would have been from Cyrus Christie. Um, just pretty much sums up the day. You know, we talked about the Mighton one, but I think that was probably an even better save. Yeah, I mean, like like we've said, I mean, Bentley had a fantastic game, but yeah, Forrest did look a lot better in that second half. Um, they were coming forward with a bit more intent. We've said that we wanted to see that from from Forrest. Unfortunately, they waited until they were two 0 down um, to show a bit more of that, and obviously they did have a chance before. Or even conceding in the game, but um, they were kind of going a bit more at Bristol City. Like I said, I think it was also slightly down to like we've seen in the other games um, where we've said, "Oh, why do we wait for Forest to to start playing until they go a goal down, or in this case, two goals down?" But I do think it's it's a little bit down to Bristol City being happy with that two 0 and they were happy to then try and hit Forest on the break, which they almost did a couple of times. Um, but you, you know, it was still good to see, and um, Forest did have some good opportunities. Another day when it's not Daniel Bentley in goal, or even if it was Daniel Bentley in goal, um, you know, he wouldn't probably have the same top quality performance that he had um, against, you know, in that game in that 90 minutes. So um, it's just one of those times, isn't it? It's when you're, when you're in a run like this and the looks against you, they, they don't go in. If you're fly, absolutely flying and you're on a run, you'll find that, you know, Forrest come away from that game yesterday and they've scored three. Um, and it's just one of those things. They had another good few. They had another good few chances, and they were they were massively on top. I then have to question the changes, and this is where my criticism of Sabri comes in yesterday because Forest were building ahead of steam, and then you know, and you would expect a manager to use his bench, and the timing and some of the subs he he, he made was a little bit of a a question mark for me. So I mean. The first one, obviously, Amiobi was having a quiet game. I think at one point I forgot Amiobi was playing. And he can do that, Sammy. And we know that he's either an absolute world beat or he can have one of those games where he goes off the ball. Um, but De Costa came on and he offered absolutely nothing. He was really disappointed. There was one, I think there was a there was one uh move just after I think he'd come on where Arta went to play the ball into him and he just ran away from it. And and I think that pretty much summed up De Costa. And, and I think I've seen people kind of mention on social that, you know, there was a rumour going around at the end of last week that De Costa had been offered to 
a couple of teams back in France because he, he's not wanted. There's a suggestion that this could have been two fingers up to the recruitment team to kind of show how weak they are in that position, just bringing him on because, I mean, he did nothing. Yeah, I mean, he's he's yet to really show me what he can do. Um, yeah, he's a frustrating player when he comes on. And I think, yeah, it did prove, it did prove if it was Sabri making a point, I think the point had been made because, um, you know, we've said, we've said uh, throughout this whole period that we need another winger um, and bringing on someone like De Costa who doesn't really seem to add anything, um, uh, you know, it does, it just, just shows the need for, for more options in terms of attack. But I mean, if it was Sabri making a point, I would then have to question, um, is, was, is it the right time to do it considering his, his, uh, his job is potentially on the line. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's, he's yet to show what he can do for me. If he did end up going, uh, leaving Forest this window, um, I don't think I'd be too upset about that one. And obviously, Martin, I think it's fair, probably fair to say, Martin was running out of steam. So you can kind of understand why he made way for, for Lyle Taylor to go two up top. Not an issue with that. Probably a good move. Um, I think the one that really infuriated me more than anything was Sam Bissau coming on for for Arta. Um it's not the type of player you want to bring on when you're chasing the game. No. And I know there's a system, there's, I know there's this forest play of a system and it was, you know, we were making chances, we were creating chances. It just Sam Bissau is somebody who's going to sit in and break the ball up and and Jack Colback wasn't you know he's not going to put that push that far forward. So where you wanted to commit bodies, if you wanted to bring um, Arter off because he was struggling maybe for fitness, which is understandable, you'd have been much better going with someone like Yates who can get back and forth and push on a little bit more. He's going to be a bit more of a danger in the opposition box. But yeah, I mean, what just just another strange sub when you're chasing a game. And that said, obviously even then they still made chances. So. Taylor was unlucky not to score with yet another great save from Bentley, smothering it um, at close range. And obviously, Luke Freeman went really close with pretty much the last move, last kick of the game. So, I'm a a glass half full man, as you know, and I I like to look at it. And I think over 65 minutes, there was room for a bit of of positivity. and, And you come away from that and think, actually, you can see them, you can see them starting to grow into it. And, as you say, say, Tom, that might have been just because Bristol were content with the lead and they were more happy to sit back. I kind of saw it. I thought Bristol City were, were were clinging on towards the end for dear life, just trying to hold on to that lead. So, obviously, yes, they were comfortable at 2-0. Obviously, let us in at 2-1. And but second half, I feel, I feel like they were scrambling. I think we had them on the ropes. And I think as time went on, you can see, in, in you know, in small passages of play, of things starting to click and... And you just feel like over a run of time, you know, we talked, I said it last week on the pod, but over a run of time, you would hope given the quality of that squad and the quality of the players that you've now got at your disposal in terms of the strength and depth, that, that, that you could, they could grow into it and really go on and, and pick up a, a run of results. Yeah, I'd argue that, that Bristol City kind of were almost a victim of their, you know, their own tactics because I felt like the kind of, some of the things that we moaned about last season about Forest, where they got themselves ahead in the game and then sat back and shot themselves in the foot 
I kind of felt Bristol City were almost, you say they were clinging on. I think they were clinging on because they decided to sit back and allow Forrest onto them um, because they knew they were playing against a team who have now lost their last seven games in all competitions. And it's the the worst run we've been on since since 1972. Um, I think Bristol City knew that and probably didn't really expect Forrest to to get at them as much as Forrest did in the end. Um, But yeah, I agree. I feel like a point might have been deserved in the end, but I do think Bristol City, um, if Bristol City had done what they were doing for um, most of that first half, I think, you know, Forrest might not have had as much of a sniff as Forrest had in the end. Um, So, you know, but, but Bristol City did do that. Forrest could have got something, but ultimately, again, that they didn't. And uh, that is the, I think, our worst start to a season since 1955. So, you know, Forrest couldn't get that get that point in the end. So let's wrap this. Let's wrap this game up. Um, plenty of, well, certainly for the last 65, plenty of uh, some positives. Plenty of positives from our point of view. Some positives from your point of view to take. Obviously, really worrying first 20, 25 minutes, but. You know, despite my optimism, I suppose three wins in 20 really speaks for itself. And um, that might lead to the next move not being so positive for Sabri. Yeah, 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 no, completely agree. Look, I mean, I got my prediction right, at least. That's the only positive I can take, really, from from the result. Um, I predicted 2-1 Bristol. That That's exactly what happened. Um, but yeah, I feel, um, I feel a... You know, this this is now got to a point which um, it may mean a place of uh, of no a point of no return for certain individuals um, within that coaching lineup now. So it looks like Sabri is very much on the verge, and um, if we believe what we're we're led to to know and understand, um, it pretty much sounds like. And I say we're recording this on the Sunday night it pretty much sounds like Sabri's gone already um, and that they're just awaiting for a replacement to be lined up, Tom, before it's announced. Um, We really hoped, I mean, I think I went at length in the first couple of episodes, we really hoped it wouldn't come to this, but it was really difficult to see him surviving yesterday. I think when we recorded this last week after... um, after the game last weekend, we were really expecting that one to potentially be... Um, his last game, but obviously the run continuing, a quite fortuitous international break now, having two weeks off, probably doesn't really help his cause. Um, can't see him surviving, Tom. No, no, unfortunately not. Like we said, no. One thing to, to point out is we're never happy to see see anyone get sacked from their job, um, especially Sabri, who you know last season was was overall. Uh, a positive season for Forrest and, and under Sabri, no one really knew anything about and how he was going to approach things and, and things like that. But unfortunately for him, the the run, even though people might go, oh, it's quite early in the season, isn't it? You do have to take into account um, after lockdown last season and his record, um, even before that, since since around Jan time, um, it's not been great. And it's it's, you know, it's looking very, very difficult for him to get out of this. Um, you know, he's been through a tough spell at Forest, um, but he's starting to lack for me, um, in terms of certain things. He, he's lacking 
showing at least a bit of leadership at the moment. You know, um, fans would have been really hurt at the end of last season, but they've continued continued back in the club and buying shirts, even during what is an incredibly difficult time for a lot of people at the moment. So do I have Sabri? Do, you know, do I have sympathy for Sabri? No, not really. Um, even though I think he's done a good job, um, he's not attempted to change change a lot of things at the moment. So, and you know, I wanted to see him a bit angry in the press conferences over the last few weeks. Obviously, we were saying just before this that he looked quite quite bitey after the match yesterday. But I wanted to see a bit more of that over the last couple of weeks, and I didn't see it. I wanted to see him, you know, a bit more angry and passionate on the touchline. I think I saw it once yesterday, but apart from that, we didn't see it and we've discussed that. And I wanted to see a bit more of an angry approach on the pitch um, and that intent from the off. And we certainly didn't get that yesterday when we were 2-0 down, apart from from a, a, a chance from Mighton. Um, so, it, it, you know, like in any walk of life, if something goes wrong, you know, in your job, you change something big or small. It's a... You know, you put in a new process, a new approach, and that's a natural and positive reaction to try and show that you don't want it to happen again. And if not, you can expect the same thing to happen at some point again. You should expect criticism from people. And although Sabri's brought in 12, 12 new players at the moment, um, he's not changed the approach. You know, if you put the same shaped jigsaw pieces into an already broken jigsaw puzzle, then it still isn't going to work. Simple as that. And he's a very I think that's the second or third one you've used. I quite like oh, it. No, look at me. Look at me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's an experienced football man. He would have had loads of managers, you know, as a player and he would have seen how they change things up to, to get things on the right path again. Um, and he hasn't really changed it up. Um, and that's that's the disappointing thing for me. Yeah, you talk about, obviously, you talk about his interview post-match yesterday, certainly being spiky. Reading the article that um, Paul Taylor posted this afternoon in The Athletic, it was definitely that. And I think you got the sense, maybe just me reading too much between the lines, but obviously of all the stuff that's been flying around in the last um, 24 hours, it's quite easy to put two and two together. But you certainly got the impression that he was starting to, he was very much on the defence within that, um, within the quotes that Paul Taylor used in his article. Obviously, he mentioned staying loyal um, despite interest from a Premier League club last year, which obviously we all know that Watford came calling for him um, and that he you know, he didn't go knocking down the, the chairman's door to go to Watford. He stayed loyal then when obviously Forrest were having a great run. Also talks about having interest um, from Qatar and France in the summer. And we know obviously that story broke on Friday night on the eve, uh, on the eve of the match that he's currently got interest from a club in Qatar um, and obviously if it all goes badly at Forest as we think it has then he will probably you know I don't think he's going to be short of offers from from there because he's he's well liked and well respected from his job previously there but I thought it was interesting where he was he was asking and hoping for loyalty but ultimately time he said it's a results business um, and he's not getting the results and I think you know, I talked at the start of this season about giving him 10 games and and hoping to see the signings bed in and to see positive offshoots. And we've seen positives here and there. We talk about the second half this weekend. You know, we saw the response at QPR. Um, we saw the response against Cardiff. Saw nothing at Huddersfield, to be fair. But there have been little pockets of, of offshoots of, of, of hope. and But it's just not been enough. And He's got to realise, he said himself, he realised he's been in football long enough, but 
he's got to understand it. it it's a results business, Tom. Yeah, 100%. He knows that. He does know that. And I'm sure um, there would have been conversations before the season started uh, with the board and with the owners um, about, you know, the time he had and what they were expecting early on in the season. And we've we've not seen any of that. And it's hard, you know, I, I like Sabri as a person. And obviously, like I've already said, last season was the best we've done in, a, you know, in the last decade. I don't know if that says more about um, how well Sabri did or just how, you know, poor uh, the last decade's been for Forrest. But, you know, he he did do well. He did turn things around in a def- difficult circumstances after having to pick up the job quite late in the summer last summer. But but at the end of the day, you know, we, we haven't picked up results. Um, and it's like I said before, it's can you see the results changing? Other fans on Twitter... Um, we. He doesn't appear to have... What was I was going to say there, Tom. He doesn't appear to have lost the dressing room. So it was something we were questioning after the Huddersfield game. So I think everyone was picking up, and we mentioned it, everyone was picking up on the Harry Arter um, kind of face he was going to grab him when he came on and gave his instructions. Obviously, Luke Freeman was was fuming, I think, at being taken off. So there was a suggestion there that things weren't, weren't great in the camp after the Huddersfield game. The, the spark and the response, and he said it himself in his interview, but... The spark and the response he got yesterday against Bristol would suggest to me that he hasn't completely lost that dressing room. And obviously Dawson going and helping coach in the back four again would see senior figures in that dressing room. Harry Arter came out of the game and said, we need to look ourselves in the mirror here and kind of work out we're the ones going on the pitch. We're the ones that need to put it right. He doesn't appear to have lost the dressing room, which is a plus point for him. Yeah, 100%. And, uh, you know, it is important. I mean, if you lose the dressing room, you know that your days are numbered because that's just the way football is now, right? Right, rightly or wrongly, if you lose the dressing room, um, it does pretty much mean that a change will, will happen quite quickly. But one thing I will say is, you know, even though it doesn't look like he's lost the dressing room, is, you know, that's not the the end. You know, that's not make or break whether you change a manager or not. I mean, he might be liked, but if his approach and his his tactics. Um, aren't getting your results. It doesn't matter. I mean, he could be the most liked guy in the world, but if if you're not getting Forest up the table and where they want to be, which is at least top six, and currently uh, we've not got a point on the table, and you know, Sheffield Wednesday started on minus twelve, and you know they're only seven points behind us now. Um, you know, it's it's not the be all and end all. You know, in terms of whether you do make a change or not. But yeah, you are right. It doesn't seem to. We did see a bit of fight, you know, we did, we did see um, the team going for it in the end. Um, but unfortunately, um, the, the results aren't changing. No. And so for you, definitely time to go. I think so. And I think, but there's, you know, there's a, a couple of other questions that come from it. It's not just, you know, it's whenever anything like this happens, we shouldn't just, you know, question the manager we should also question you know the the people who who hide them and backs them right you would expect that in in ever and any other places of work um yet as fans you know you seem to get criticized for questioning board members at a football club uh which i find odd because you know these these fans back them but but that is the way it is um but i just wonder what this means for some of the the higher members of the club and and what their thoughts are and everything at the moment. Undoubtedly, in my mind, some members of the board and, and directors may leave or or be sacked if 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 results don't don't change. Uh, we heard that in the summer. So will that happen? Um, and that's just an opinion, by the way. But 
but will that happen? Will there be other changes, not just not just at manager level? And if things gone out, they imagined that. I imagine not. What was their plan? Was it to go through four managers and 65 signings in the space of a few years and not make the top six? You know, the board have undoubtedly shored us up. No question about that. And I support them. Um, I just wonder what certain members of that board will be thinking in terms of their future mm. and whether they see themselves at Forest much longer. Even commercial members, you know, do they feel they have the security or will they look elsewhere? Or do they feel they're on the verge of something special? My gut feeling is probably the former. And just to clarify, I know that people think that kind of speculation doesn't help matters around a football club, neither on or off the pitch. I completely agree with that as well. But I certainly think that when things like this are happening, we shouldn't be scared of asking the questions of the club, regardless of, of whether you support them or don't support them. Um, and as long as they're the right ones and there's transparency and that's being presented to, the, to those that should have it, you know that that's all that matters. No, and I think it's. I, I think you make good points, Tom. And I think we've we've talked about it at length in our you know in our group and and with our with our pals and stuff. And I think the big thing for me this summer is what was the plan? Because we said it earlier in the episode. I think actually some of the transfer business, and we've we've bigged it up quite a bit, but some of the transfer business that we've done has been outstanding, and I still maintain that. Yes, we've lost we've lost four games in a row, but I still think the squad that we have now is is a really good squad that should be challenging towards the top end of that table, and not maybe not top two, um, but definitely top six. But did they require the number of recruitments that we've brought in? And and I know there was a there was a uh, you know within those talks that Lamucci went over to Greece for, the plans were pretty much I think he said it in an interview where and I think when they kind of talked about what the conclusions of those those chats were, but the plan was almost ripped up and they decided that because of the the frailties of that kind of running that they were just going to completely revamp the squad and go from there and probably sign more players than they were initially anticipating when it looked like Forrest were going to make the top six. Had Forrest have made the top six, do I think we'd assign 12, 13, 14 players? Obviously not. The collapse that happened in those final few weeks, yes, that collapse was 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 gut-wrenching for fans. It was gut-wrenching for players and for the manager and for the board. I'm sure it was. Um but does that mean that you rip up the whole blueprint for got you there, which was obviously you've just said it was the best season in in a decade? For me, no. Um, you know, a few players want to leave. We took Silver wanted to leave. Um, you know, the back four probably needed shoring up a touch. You know, you needed a number ten. You need a winger. You needed a couple of mid. You needed a midfielder to come in. Probably two midfielders to come in, and you needed backup for grabbing up top. You did, and obviously Cashy went. But we still had a number of right backs at the club who you felt could probably do a job. So you probably weren't looking, you know, we said last week most fans would be really happy now to get to a period. I think we're all a bit exhausted of change. I think we're all exhausted of, you know, as fun as it is of seeing all these transfers come in, it gets to a point now where it's a bit like, oh, another one. I think the fans would have been happier to see four, three, four, five quality additions come in and really boost that squad. The benefit, you know, the people, the reason why we talk about wanting the managers coming to succeed is because we want consistency in the manager's office because that breeds consistency in the playing squad. We got the consistency of the manager, albeit it looks like he's he's gone, but we haven't got the consistency of the playing squad. So in, in reality, you may as well have sacked him in the summer because you were starting again. 
it's been a really confusing summer for me. Um, and that really hasn't helped. Another thing that came out of his interview yesterday, I was getting the undertone of, I don't think Sabri's been as involved and as in charge of the transfer business as he would have liked, as he was making out um, in his interviews in weeks gone by, because he started to talk about, well, I don't know. I don't know if a winner's coming in. I don't know if Cafu's coming in. I don't know who's moving in the final few days. He, it seemed like when he was being asked those questions yesterday, he was very dejected. And I think cracks in that story now have started to appear because I think some of these players that have come in have kind of been pushed on him against his will. I think that's probably fair to say. Yeah, potentially, potentially. Um, what I would say is, you know, I feel I feel like we've, we've spoke about this before on, on the last couple of pods, so I'll try not repeating, repeat myself over and over again. But, you know, it's obviously the way that football clubs work in, in most cases in modern football is there's a board and... Um, the aim of, of the game for Forest is to simply sign players or have a board in place that sign players that if the manager does need to change, then that means that, you know, at least your plan of attack remains the same. It's just the personnel. I think where the flaw comes in is there's not an obvious plan of attack when you're signing 65 players within the space of a few years. I think that's where the downfall comes to whatever their plan of attack is because mm. the board, then your rationale for having the board that you have, um, just it, it completely falls down. So, and I'll defend them to a point because I think I don't feel what I want to get across from my point of view is that I have no, in my mind, I have no doubt that the board and the owners of this football club ultimately want Forest to be success. I believe that 100%. I buy into their plans, obviously revamp the ground. I think they've done they've done some amazing work in the years that they've been here. You look at the shell of a club that they bought and we were in a, sh- a shambolic state when they came in. Let's not forget that. We stayed up on goal difference on the final day of the season. They, they've took us over and we're now talking about being, you know, upset because of the way that last season ended. Yes, we missed out on the playoffs. But if you look at where we've come from since they took over, they've, I think they've built the club up and we are now in a much stable and better position. So, and, I, and I've got no doubt to question the fact they want us to be promoted. I would question, therefore, if we're talking about Sabri's future and obviously, you know, Martin O'Neill before him, Karanka, um, and even back to... To Mark Warburton, I can understand the influx of players when they first took over to try and better that squad so that we weren't scrambling around for, um, you know, the bottom of the league again. You've got to start questioning that recruitment team now. And there was a question, there were question marks over their future actually in the summer in terms of whether they'd see the summer out. Sabri might stay, but the recruitment team might leave. In the end, they all stayed. It was all a big, one big happy family. Um, and as I say, I've got no doubt that the quality of the players we've signed is top-notch. But it's just really hard to try and balance that squad harmony when you've got so many players. And I think, you know, questions over the last few years have got to be asked about that recruitment team. Yeah, 100%. And it's like I said before, you know, look, I uh, I still support the board and, and the ownership. And I think, you know, 
um what we're saying shouldn't you know that shouldn't be lost right we're not we're not no 100 percent anti the club or anti the board whatsoever because you know that's not what i want people to take from what we're saying but i think as fans you have the right to ask the right questions um because as long as as long as they can show and answer those questions, then absolutely fine. But you have every right in any walk of life to to ask the right questions, and it, you are completely correct. You have to start questioning things around transfers and the approach and the plan. Um, that's important, you know, because because you can't see you can't see what that approach is. So as fans, you have every right. To, to ask that and I completely agree with you it's it's hard to really take what the plan of attack was or is um, you know that they might I mean they're clearly very experienced football people so there might be one huge master plan in the background for all I know but you know at this moment in time I just can't see it I think that recruitment team will now live or die by their next appointment if and when Sabri leaves because if they get this wrong they will have wasted a very expensive season because all these signings will not on the wages of some of these proven championship players. They will be on big wages. So this is a big risk for the football club. So if they don't get this right, they will live or die by the sword. And what I'm really hoping, and we've already seen rumours start to swirl tonight about unknown quantities from, from abroad. Um, I really hope that they back that up, that if Sabri does unfortunately go, that they bring in a manager or a head coach who has got championship experience to back up a championship experience ready squad. Because if you if you go out and say, right, this summer we're going to go out, we're going to strengthen the squad and we're going to buy players who know the league and can come in and hit the ground running, and then yet you sack your head coach and bring someone in with no experience of the championship, that again will send the wrong, very mixed messages to to the fan base, I think. Yeah, 100%. And I think, um, you know, look, I don't have um, I don't have any problem with Forrest appointing uh, a coach from abroad um, if, if that's what they, if that was always the plan of attack. Because, you know, you look at the previous teams who have been successful in the league and a lot of the managers do come from abroad and, and do very well. Daniel Farker from Norwich, um, there's been... You know, Lamucci, no one, no one knew, and obviously I know it's not ended in success, and he's he's been sacked and given the boot by the looks of it. But you know, he still did a decent job last season. But I completely agree in that if their plan of attack has changed this summer in terms of the transfer activity and that squad being, we want players that uh, know this league. Maybe that's kind of worked against Sabri saying that about the squad because then maybe the board's thinking they had, oh, well, if you're gonna, if that's what you think it is going to lead to success and get us out of this division, uh, then maybe we need, we need that in the, in the leadership and the coaching of the squad as well. Mm. I think uh, if you are going to buy players from this division and experience, then yeah, you have to have leadership that also has experience and, uh, and, and knows this division extremely well. Uh, so I, again, I, again, I agree with you on that point. It strikes me as it's time and I've banged on far too much about, coaches and head coaches needing time but it feels to me that this has been done because this season they ultimately we missed out last season and they really want top six promotion this year so it's all about time which is why they've gone down the tried and tested talk about Daniel Farker at Norwich people like that well it took Daniel Farker two years 
to get Norwich promoted. So whoever comes in isn't going to have the luxury of two years. They're going to have eight, seven, eight months to get this team promoted. My biggest overriding feeling at the minute is sometimes when managers, head coaches get sacked, you, you can see it coming from a long way out. And actually, there's almost you never want someone to lose a job. And it's not that as a fan, but it's almost a sense of relief and happiness because you know that actually that run can't continue and that you need someone to come in and change it up. And and yes, I can understand that. And there'll be fans out there definitely that'll be saying that about Sabri. But for me this time round, it's almost tinged with a great amount of sadness. Because I think he, you know, I think I think we all, I think me and you definitely agree that we love the bloke. I think he came in last year as an unknown quantity and took on a squad. And he he made the fan base believe again. Um, and he was able to mould that squad into a team of players, into a squad of players who really bought into his philosophy at the top at that time and got them marching, you know, towards the top of the league. And you know, we talk about that Leeds game. When I think about last season, and actually when I think about missing football, I, my mind always takes me back to that Leeds game last year, which was without a doubt the pinnacle of, of, of our season, the best night of our season. But the city ground numerous times under Sabri last season was rocking. And yes, there were signs before the, the COVID lockdown period that things weren't quite right. So we talked about the Millwall game already. And, and obviously coming back after lockdown we've not looked great and and you know with, with four defeats in a row so I can fully understand and I'm now of the opinion that look I think we all just need to kind of go in our separate ways Sabri kind of go off and and, and I'm sure he's going to be a, a success in, in the future wherever he goes and obviously it's time for us to probably just freshen things up because ultimately the the disappointment that was felt on that last day of the season is just it's just really clung on and, and we've we've found it found it really hard to break out of that this season. So but ultimately I don't think it should be lost on supporters what an impact Sabri's had on this club because as as fans, he actually made us believe again that we could be towards the top of the league. And um and for that I think I'll be I'll be grateful for him again because I I've really enjoyed or I really enjoyed that that two thirds of the season last year and it was ultimately down to the way he he motivated and galvanised that group of players. So ultimately for me, it, it's just this is just tinged with a massive amount of sadness for me. Yeah, I completely agree. When I think of last season, I think about that Leeds game. Um, but it wasn't only Leeds. Look, like I've said it before, the football's not always easy on the eye, but you did get us picking up results and thinking about the top two at the points last season, which was an incredible turnaround when you think of some of the you know, before before the new owners, but also um, just even under the previous managers, under the current owners, it's, you know, he, he did give that belief. And I think more importantly, and I think you'll agree with me here, every Forest manager needs a cracking chant and we have that with Sabri. <laughs> Whoever comes in next, um, we, obviously we're, we're talking. I still miss Philippe Montagnier. Yeah, yeah. Whoever God comes in next, he better have a good name that can fit into a cracking song because otherwise <laughs> I'm not interested. I'm not, I'm not on board with it already. So I feel like that's that's the main thing. But yeah, you know, it's sad. Like I said, never happy to see anyone go. And uh, especially someone who, you know, it's weird to say, but is, you know, the longest serving manager we've had for a while, even though he's <laughs> yeah. been here for over a year. Um, but, you know, it's, it is sad. It is sad. But um, I'm sure he'll go on um, to, to, to good things. Um, but whoever Forrest, you know, 
unfortunately that's football to the chapters, the pages turn, right? And whoever comes in next, we've just got to hope can pick up this squad um, and give us some more times like Leeds at home last season. Well, I think in the next two weeks, there's, there's a, it's a good chance for everyone to take stock and reflect. And um, yeah, let's see where we are in uh, in two weeks' time. I think that's enough for us tonight, um, Tom. I think we'll wrap it up there. So, um, guys, if you want to get in contact with us, you can email us at timeaddedonpod at outlook.com. Or follow us on Twitter at timeaddedonpod. Nice one. You Reds. You Reds.